Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Allahu akbar, Allahu akbar. Allahu akbar, Allahu akbar. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa Allah. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa Allah. Ashhadu anna Muhammadan Ashhadu anna Muhammadar Rasulullah Hayya Hayal al-Falah Hayal al-Falah نستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله Amma ba'd, my dear brothers and sisters in Islam, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. I begin with a reminder that we should have taqwa in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which means that we should be conscious of Allah, we should be aware of Allah, we should fear Allah, and we should protect ourselves from Allah's anger and His punishment and His wrath. As He tells us in the Qur'an, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اتَّقُوا اللَّهَ حَقَّ تُقَاتِهِ وَلَا تَمُوتُنَّ إِلَّا وَأَنْتُمْ مُسْلِمُونَ He says, O oh, you who believe, have taqwa in Allah, as he's worthy of having taqwa in. 
and do not allow yourself to pass except that you're in a state of Islam or a state of loving submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And on this blessed day of Jum'ah, and in this still very pivotal and difficult moment for the beloved Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we ask Allah to send an abundance of peace and prayers upon him. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik wa an'im ala Habibina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in amma ba'd. My dear brothers and sisters, by Allah's great generosity and His mercy with me, He allowed me to spend the last nine days or so in the blessed lands of Mecca and Medina. I landed less than 24 hours ago back here in the States. And as those of you who know, whoever has visited there, you know when you're there, it has an overwhelming power to it. It hits you. It inspires you. It moves you. And it's very difficult to leave those thoughts behind so quickly after coming back. It's also all engrossing and all encompassing while you're there. So it's very difficult to keep up with the news of the day while you're in those blessed lands. And so fortunately or unfortunately for you, you're going to have to hear some of my reflections and some of my takeaways from my visit to these two very blessed places. And I want to begin with Mecca al-Mukharrama. Mecca, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willed the very first house for his worship be built by Adam alayhi salam, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willed that the father of monotheism, Ibrahim alayhi salam, and his son Ismail would reestablish this house of Allah devoted to la ilaha illallah. Now I've been there, I've been blessed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have been there several times prior to this in my life. And I have some very sweet memories from when I was a teenager and a younger man in my 20s going to visit the Kaaba and walking into that structure. And once you get about halfway in, you're able to see the blessed cube for what it is. And you get awestruck. I've been there in past years when at any time, day or night, even with the millions of worshippers there, you can typically find a way to get in to the main structure and sit within view of the blessed house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we got there, the group that I was with with Sheikh Yasir, got there right around Isha time or so. And we went down to do our Umrah after Isha was completed. And as we walked into the structure, the very first thing that hit me was this place no longer feels like a masjid. It feels like a convention center. They had so many barriers and blockades up for construction purposes that there was no dedicated prayer area almost in the entirety of the first floor. It was just rows of people walking past one another. And that was the very first thought that hit my head. This no longer feels like a masjid. It feels like I'm in the Meadowlands for Eid with everyone just walking by one another. But we're there for Umrah. So we tried to stay focused as much as possible. The next morning, a little bit before Fajr, Allah blessed me to wake up and I wanted to go down and do some tawaf, which is the preferred ibadah there, before Fajr comes in. And I walked straight out of my hotel. I could see the haram from my hotel. I walked straight out 
and there's a barrier up. And if you've ever played, those of you who are older in the audience, you may remember an old computer game called The Lemmings. The Lemmings was a computer game in its very rudimentary years of computer gaming. It was Lemmings were these creatures that had no brain. They would just walk. And your objective in the game was to build up barriers and stairs to get them where you wanted to get them to win the board. That's what I felt like that morning. I tried to walk straight, they built a barrier. And like lemmings, we all just sort of bounced up against it, turned to our left and started walking. We hit another barrier, we turned back. Barrier after barrier, it took me maybe 35 minutes to walk a few feet into the haram until I finally found a spot to sit and pray. I left my hotel with more than an hour before Fajr. I sat down with maybe two or three minutes before the Adhan. Everything was blocked off. When I finally sat down, Alhamdulillah, the construction in that area was completed and beautiful. But when I looked in front of me, instead of seeing the Kaaba, I saw four walls. I counted them. Four inner walls that blocked me from seeing the blessed house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Later on that afternoon, I was insistent, I'm going to do tawaf. One way or another, I'm going to get there. And we were told, you can only do it on the second floor at this point in time. I went to three different gates and was repelled by three different guards. You cannot enter for tawaf right now. The last one had some mercy and said, wait 15 minutes and I'll let you in. When I finally get up to do the tawaf, as I'm going around the Kaaba, and they have corralled, I don't know how many, it has to be hundreds of thousands of people trying to do tawaf at that time. They had corralled us into a space maybe fit for a few thousand. It was already tight. And the haram is already normally tight. And then in the middle of my second tawaf, for some reason they saw fit to block the entire pathway. We were stopped dead in our tracks. I ended up leaving my tawaf that day after finishing for the first time in my trip feeling angry. I was frustrated at how hard it was to get to the blessed house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in my anger, I wanted to recenter myself. So I asked Allah, Ya Rabbi, please, I don't want to be angry in your sanctuary. Give me some peace. And at that moment, I saw a father and a son who you could tell had just finished their umrah. And for those of you who don't know how you can tell, firstly, they had their head shapes, and you could tell they don't normally shave their head. They're not like me. They have full, beautiful heads of hair. It was evident. But secondly, there's a nur that comes off someone who just finished Umrah. And thirdly, you can see that their thobes were brand new. They had just bought them. They hadn't even had time to iron them. And this father and son were walking back towards the Kaaba as I was walking away from it in complete joy and bliss. And I stopped. And I moved over to the side, and I decided to just sit and observe the people that were walking by me, in and out of the haram. And I saw combination after combination after combination of generations of worshippers of Allah coming into the Kaaba with complete joy and peace on their faces. And it hit me. This ummah has a massive superpower. Now, I'm not commenting at all on whether the construction is a good thing or a bad thing. I don't care about that. What I do care about is that millions of worshippers were there. And no matter how many blockades they put up, 
they could not keep the lovers of Allah from getting to that blessed house. Minute after minute, more people are pouring in and they're putting up blockade after blockade and they cannot stop these worshippers from getting to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The last day I was there, I went to do my farewell tawaf. And Allah had willed that it was a downpour of rain that day. And even though the rain had stopped about an hour before I went to do my tawaf, when I got up to the second floor to do it, we weren't doing tawaf on the ground. We were wading in shin-high waters, all of us. Tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people, the water reaching up just below our knees. And we're lifting up our thobes to try to keep them dry. And the fools like me who still had their socks on ended up throwing them away, throwing their shoes away from how soaked they were. And for more than an hour, I'm doing tawaf, observing the people with me, wading in this water, no one complaining. And as the hour went on, more and more people joined in. No one got frustrated and left the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I happened to finish my tawaf as the adhan for maghrib was coming in. And I knew before it happened, I knew exactly what would happen. And when it happened, it still moved me. When the iqama came, everyone stopped, faced the Kaaba, and prayed in that puddle of water. When he said, Allahu Akbar, to go down in sujood, we all put our foreheads in that water happily and willingly. And no one came up frustrated trying to brush the water from their faces. They just let it, let it drip off. This ummah has a superpower. It's the iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That no matter how much people want to keep us from worshipping Allah, no matter how much people want to divert us from that, they cannot stop us from doing so. Walhamdulillah. And this is not new. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah At-Tawbah that those who disbelieve, they want to put out the flame of Allah. But Allah is insistent that He will keep that flame alive. He keeps it alive in your heart and my heart. Inshallah, we are among the believers who keep that flame alive. Ameen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about the mushrikeen in Mecca that they love their gods. They love Allah even more than they love their gods. And it was on full display. Alhamdulillah. You know, when I was in the Mosque of our beloved Al-Habib Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I saw something else that indicated this. And please, my dear brothers, make some space in the back for those who are coming in, inshallah. About the second or third night that I was in Medina, I noticed something. There were a lot of people around me, a lot of men who seemed to be from Malaysia or Singapore, some of them from Uzbekistan, you can tell from their clothing, some of them from Dagestan. Essentially, Places that don't speak Arabic very regularly. And these men were sitting. And we would be there as a group for a few hours before Fajr. Praying tahajjud, reading Quran, sending salawat upon the Prophet ﷺ. May Allah accept from all of us inshaAllah. But I noticed there was plenty of men sitting around me doing none of that. They weren't doing tasbih. They weren't reading Quran. They weren't standing up to pray. But they were not on their phones. They were standing, just, they were sitting just facing the Qibla for hours. I would get there and they were there before me. I would stand up to leave Fajr and they were still there after me. Doing nothing but staring at the Qibla. And it reminded me of a story I had heard about the Spanish Inquisition against the Muslims. They say that there were many Muslims who during the Inquisition in Spain, in order to hide their Islam, 
they dug holes and, and little inlets into their basements and into their walls. Just enough for one person to sit with the Qur'an. And they would bury their Qur'ans there. And what they would do is whenever they could find the time, they would enter into their holes secretly and they would open up the Qur'an with a flame. But they didn't know how to read it. They would just open it up and they would move their finger across the lines. And when they gave their testimony, they said, we knew the Qur'an had barakah in it. Even if we don't know how to read it, just looking at the ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had barakah. They were killing our brothers and sisters in Spain, and they couldn't stop them from burying into the ground to not read, but to look upon the Qur'an of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This iman is a superpower. Now, the week before I left, there was a semi-viral clip coming out of the so-called Israel. There was an Israeli academic who at the start of this escalation in early October, he was on one of the Khaliji Arab news stations. His name was Mordecai something. He was an Israeli academic who studies Arabic studies or Islamic studies, something like that. And in one of the final questions from the interviewer, he responded by saying, all these Palestinians, all of them are subhuman animals. And they should be treated as subhuman animals. And the interviewer, the woman, was a bit in shock. She assumed he must have made a mistake. He must just mean the perpetrators of October 7th. So she asked him to clarify. She said, you mean just the people who came over, right? And he said, no. Every Palestinian is a subhuman animal and they should be treated as such. Two or three days before I left to Medina, that same academic was on an Israeli news program, like a panel discussion. And he was telling his fellow Israeli citizens, you don't understand what we're up against. These people, they have a phrase in their Quran that says, And he said, we don't have, in our lexicon, we don't have a word similar to sabr. I don't know how to make you understand it except to explain to you what this half of an ayah does to these people. He's like, this is why you will find a Palestinian with a leg amputated, an arm amputated, and on the remaining arm, he only has two fingers. And he will still stand up and say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, and then say, victory, victory, victory with both fingers. And they believe wholeheartedly, Allah is with them. And that if they die in this struggle, their kids will continue the struggle. And if their kids and their entire lineage is wiped off of the face of the earth, they have the billions of Muslims who Allah will bring to bring victory to this land for them. This hateful academic who called us subhuman animals after watching the Palestinians suffer for two months and still not give up, saw this superpower at play for real. And instead of calling us subhuman new, they have this superpower. That's why we cannot defeat them. My dear brothers and sisters, Wallahi al-Azim, this ummah is a blessed ummah. When I saw those people walking into the Kaaba, me walking out frustrated because I've been imdallilled in America. I've been spoiled in America with how easy it is. The Muslims from around the world saw no difficulty. They can put up a million barriers to keep us from La ilaha illallah, we will go. Allah can make it rain tornadoes upon us and just like our beloved messenger put his forehead in the sand, we will put our foreheads in the sand to follow his sunnah. This is a superpower that's a, that this ummah has. 
Lean into it, my brothers and sisters. Wallahi, this ummah is on the ascent. My time in Mecca and Medina reaffirmed it for me. They cannot put out the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As long as we stay true to La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah, they can drop the world's entire arsenals of bombs on us and you will have Muslims marching to Al-Aqsa. Muslims marching to Kaaba saying La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. May Allah make us from among them. وَأَقُولُ قَوْلِ هَذَا وَاسْتَغْفِرُ الْعَظِيمِ لِي وَلَكُمْ وَيَا فَوْزُ الْمُسْتَغْفِرِينَ اسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهِ إِنَّ الْحَمْدَ لِلَّهِ نَحْمَدُهُ وَنَسْتَعِينُهُ وَنَسْتَغْفِرُهُ وَنَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ شُرُورِ أَنْفُسِنَا وَمِنْ سَيِّئَاتِ أَعْمَالِنَا My dear brothers, I'm going to ask you again. Get uncomfortable. It's okay. There's barakah in being close to one another. Move as close as you can. That was something else I was forced to learn in Medina. You know, Sheikh Yasser saw me at one point sitting in a quiet part of the masjid. And he walked over to me. And he, told me <laughs> he grabbed me by the shoulder and said, get up. You're going to be uncomfortable. We're going to go sit next to Al-Habib. And I couldn't have been more happy that he did that. Get comfortable, my dear brothers and sisters. Make space for those behind you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make space for you in Jannah, inshallah. And I'll try to keep it short. I tell you that all the time. Sometimes Allah wills it. Sometimes he doesn't. But I'll try to keep it as short as possible in the second khutbah, inshallah. You know, we arrived in Medina, uh, right at Adhan for Maghrib. And so we quickly put our stuff in our rooms and we ran out to catch the Iqamah. And I couldn't get into the masjid. I had to pray in the courtyard outside. And after Maghrib, I had been waiting to go back to Medina. I named, not this one, but my second daughter, my younger daughter, I named her Medina after the Prophet's city, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. In part because of how much I have never ever been on a place on this earth that gives you more peace than Medina gives you. There's something special in that land and it's because Al-Habib sallallahu alayhi wa sallam prayed for it to be special for the believers. May Allah make us believers inshaAllah. But after I finished Salat al-Maghrib, I looked up to the sky and I saw the moon of Medina glowing down upon us. And something hit me, a thought, a feeling. And I described it inside of myself the only way I could describe it. This is an overwhelming peace. Before I left to Medina, I spent two nights sleepless just trying to rush to get work done so that I don't have to worry about it while I'm traveling. And I rushed to the airport, barely made it there on time. It was a hectic, hectic leave. So I was in an agitated space, an agitated hal when I walked in to the haram in Medina. And after being there for a few moments, I felt overwhelmed with peace. And it reminded me of a few stories of our beloved messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. You know, there was one time at the opening of Mecca, the conquest of Mecca, there was a hypocrite, a man who hid his hypocrisy. He claimed to be a Muslim so that he could get close to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam as he was doing tawaf around the Kaaba and kill him. His name was Fudayl. And so he began, he saw the Prophet ﷺ doing tawaf. He hid a poison dagger under his shirt. And he started to do tawaf behind the messenger Muhammad ﷺ. Insistent and ready to kill him. And our beloved messenger ﷺ, without turning around, said, is that you, O Fudayl? And Fudayl stopped dead in his tracks. He said, yes, Ya Rasulullah, I just want to be near you. And the Prophet ﷺ turned around and put his blessed hand over the heart of Fudayl on his chest. 
He hit him a little bit like that. He said, Ya Fudail, why have you come? And Fudail broke down. He said, Ashadu anna ilaha illallah wa ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. He said, Wallahi ya Rasulullah, I came to kill you. But the moment you took your hand off my chest, you became more beloved to me than anything and everything in the world. And he died as a companion of the Prophet There's another similar story where Safwan ibn Umayyah, he was the, one of the primary leaders of the Quraysh after the Battle of Badr. His father Umayyah died in the Battle of Badr and Safwan took on his father's mantle of trying to kill Muhammad and stamp out his mission. After the Battle of Badr, Safwan was sitting with one of his cousins, Umair. And they were both in shock at the loss of Badr. And they were cursing our beloved Messenger وسلم, with some severe curses. And Umair, his cousin, said, Wallahi, if it wasn't for the fact that I owe people debts and I have daughters, I would go to Medina to kill Muhammad right now. Now, Umair's son was a captive. He was a prisoner of war. So Sufyan told Umair, I promise you, if you do it, your children become my children, your debts become my debts. Safwan was extremely wealthy. I will cover you completely if you go to assassinate Muhammad. We say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Sufyan, uh, Umayyah took the deal. Same story, poisoned his sword, sharpened it, and took a fast road, a secret fast road to Medina. He got there within a matter of days. And this is all an important point, why he got there in a matter of days. You'll see why. And he gets into Medina, and he has his face covered so no one can see him. But Umar with his farasa, although he couldn't tell who it was, he said, these eyes, they come with some evil intent. So Umar rushed to the Prophet ﷺ. He said, Ya Rasulullah, there's someone coming behind me. He intends evil for you. And the Prophet told him, don't worry, bring him. I know, just bring him. And Umayyah walks into the Prophet ﷺ. And before he uncovers his face, the Prophet asks him, Ya Umayyah, why have you come? And Umair, Umair, sorry, his name is Umair. And Umair says, uh, O Muhammad, I've come to barter with you for my son and to ask you by our kinship to be good to me. Set a fair price. And the Prophet says, Ya Umair, tell me the truth. Why have you come? He says, I swear by Allah, I've only come to barter with you on my son. And the Prophet says, Ya Umair, I know you and Safwan were sitting by the Hajar al-Aswad in the Kaaba. And Safwan said so-and-so, and you said so-and-so, and he guaranteed you to cover your debts and take care of your daughters if you came and killed me. And Allah has informed me about your plot before you even arrived. And Umayyad looked at the Prophet and said, Ya Rasulullah, this is how he addressed him, Ya Rasulullah, I swear by Allah, I did not tell my wife even that I was coming to you. No one knew I was on my way. And I rode alone. No one beat me here to Medina. I rejected you when you told me Allah was sending you wahi. But there's no way you could have known what I said to Safwan and Safwan said to me, except by Allah above the heavens informing you of it. Ashhadu annaka Rasulullah. And he took his shahada right then and there. Safwan eventually disowned him for a while until the conquest of Mecca. And then Safwan tried to flee from Mecca and Umair, his cousin, interceded on his behalf. And Safwan became a Muslim at the conquest of Mecca. You know, at the, when we were visiting Jabal al-Uhud as a group, 
the uh, uh, Sheikh Yasser recounted some of the broad strokes of Uhud. He talked about some of the main heroes from the Muslims and some of the main villains from Quraysh. And one thing that struck me as he spoke, all of the main villains of Quraysh on the day of Uhud, uh, Sufyan, Abu Sufyan, radiallahu anhu, Hind, radiallahu anha, Wahshi, radiallahu anhu, Khalid ibn al-Walid, radiallahu anhu, all of them were villains on the day of Uhud. All of them died as companions of the Prophet I've said this to you in almost every single khutbah since October 7th. And I say it again now because it was on full display in Medina. The miracle of our beloved messenger, one of the great miracles of our beloved messenger is this overwhelming peace. Iman, la ilaha illallah, has a way of overwhelming the hearts of humanity. Because it's true. Because it comes from al-haq. It comes from the one truth. Every other truth the ulama tell us is contingent on al-haq. It's the only truth in the world. La ilaha illallah. That's why it overpowers. But what does it overpower you with? The peace of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The peace that can take an assassin's heart and with a gentle push on the chest make him love Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That peace that took Wahshi who stood in waiting and speared Hamza to death and then cut him open and grabbed out his liver. That same Wahshi came to our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and took his shahada. And our messenger was in such pain at what he did. He said, Ya Wahshi, I have to accept your Islam, but I can't look at your face because you mutilated my beloved uncle. So stay away from me. And this broke Wahshi. And so he devoted the rest of his life to try to make up for the death of Hamza. And do you know who he killed to make up for it? The last kill he claimed in his life, he killed Musaylim al-Kadhab, the first Dajjal of this Ummah. Musaylim al-Kadhab, if you don't know, was right at the end of the Prophet's life. He came out and said, I'm also a Prophet. And he sent the letter to Muhammad saying, Allah told me, you split it with me. You take half and I take half. And the Prophet refused to deal with him. Abu Bakr waged a war against him. And Wahshi was so insistent on making up for his killing of Hamza that he killed Musaylim al-Kadhab. And now we say, this is a miracle of our deen, my dear brothers and sisters. We have people today who hate us. And before they die, they will love us because they love Muhammad Just stay firm on la ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. Stick to Allah and stick to the sunnah of Muhammad The world can do what it will. And not only will we continue onward, but many of them will join our ranks because this is the truth, because it is peace, because it is a miracle. I ask that Allah make you and I from those who hear what is said and follow the best of it. Oh Allah, all thanks and praise are due to you if you become pleased with us. And all thanks and praise are due to you if you become pleased with us. Ya Allah, forgive us our sins and accept from us our repentance. Ya Allah, we ask of you Jannah and we seek refuge in you from the hellfire. Oh Allah, we ask that you send an abundance of peace and prayers upon our most beloved Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. O you who turns the hearts, keep our hearts steadfast on Islam. Make beloved to us everything that is beloved to you. And make hated to us everything that is hated to you. Ya Allah, be with our brothers and sisters in Gaza. Ya Allah, be with our brothers and sisters in Gaza. Ya Allah, be with our brothers and sisters in Gaza. Ya Allah, you have used them to turn the hearts of thousands towards you. Continue to use them for that, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, you told us in your Quran 
that you give us these days of loss so that you can take shuhada, martyrs from us. Ya Allah, accept them all as martyrs. Ya Allah, grant them families better than their families. Grant them homes better than their homes. Ya Allah, enter them into Jannah, into Al-Firdaus Al-A'la with Al-Habib Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And Ya Allah, use us to alleviate their suffering and allow us to join them in that blessed level of Jannah and allow us all to look upon you on Jum'ah in Jannah, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, we ask that you allow us to witness Ramadan again and that you accept from us all of our previous Ramadan. Wa akhra da'wan, alhamdulillah, rabbil alayhi wa الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله استووا واستقيموا يرحمكم الله turn your hearts towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala straighten your rows close all the gaps and pray as if it's your last chance to pray before you go back to meet him الله أكبر بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حمد الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين 
قل هو الله أحد الله الصمد لم يلد ولم يولد ولم يكن له قفوا أحد الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حمد الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر السلام عليكم ورحمة الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله